This is the Cathode Ray Podcast with Steve and Lewis. Yeah, get Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 46 of the Cathode Ray Podcast. I'm here with my friend Steve Nutter. We're going to talk about our week, some of the things, some of the issues in retro gaming that have been affecting us and projects we've been working on this week. Steve, how you doing, mate? I'm wonderful. Doing much better now. And uh, Yeah? How's that health road? going? Yeah, it's going how pretty good, pretty good. I did have another update or another... Uh, I did go back for a checkup. And they told me they still want me to basically lay low for a couple more weeks. Okay. So like six more weeks, or not six more weeks, six okay. weeks total from the end of uh, this when it happened basically at the beginning of February. So I'll, I'll be relaxed and still till about mid-March. But still been trying to do some things uh, because it gets boring when you sit around for six weeks. You know, it is, and the the more healthy you get, the less times you can post medical Instagram, vi- medical yeah, no. YouTube videos. And I get am all so that bored engagement. with that. Yeah, <laughs> now it's like too much. I'm not really. Uh... The crazies were fun for a little while, but then, yeah, I was like, know, I just but... need to move on from that. So I was like, good, this is a good time. <laughs> so yeah, I actually probably by the time this episode comes out, people have seen the new episode of. Uh, mm-hmm. Of retro tech that I had, uh, where I did, I did. You've seen at least just the little funny front bit mm. that I was working on. But um, so, what's the point of your video? Give us the quick. Summary. Yeah, because I mean, we're going to talk about the biggest problem in retro te- retro uh, mm-hmm. today. The biggest, you know, like all those catchy thumbnails that people were doing on. Uh, yeah, saying that it was just the gatekeepers, but mm. it's it's a freaking creative uh most creative way i could come up with for trying to bait people into watching an entertaining video about shipping damage <laughs> to, yeah. to retro i mean we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks this last one i've been working on so uh yeah i mean i had i had some good stuff there where i was able to show a couple monitors some posts from people i have like i mean i had over 70 pictures that i put in like this really depressing slideshow in the middle of it just <laughs> like a, an ode to these CRTs that have all, all been destroyed from ground shipping. And mm-hmm. um, I didn't just basically talk about the problem. I also gave a tutorial at the end on actually how to use uh, the company we I've talked about a couple of times before, U-Ship. Oh, U-Ship. Sure, so yeah. I actually went through, showed how you'd set up a new nice. uh, shipment just to get like a mm-hmm. quote so you could understand how much it would cost and how easy it is to make a listing on there Um, so yeah that's that second half of that video so yeah it was fun i definitely spent way more time editing that than probably 95 (laughs) percent of the things i've 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 worked on here but um with the extra time from not being able to do physical stuff i'll do that nice that's good uh, this week I've been working on the uh, analyzing and looking at the S video framework for Mister, and it kind of just dropped out of nowhere. And we we're like, "What is this? How does it work? How does it all bit?" So uh, I've spent the last couple of days uh, with Lou from Lou's Retro Source. Uh, so what we're doing is he's going to do his shorter video, which is Lou's st- short, sharp to the point. You want to know everything in ten minutes? Lou's got the video, and then we're recording a podcast tomorrow, talky, longer discussion getting into talking about this new framework and some of the ins and outs. And I've been testing uh, the the S video out of it. Um, what they're also do, done is there's a capability to, for the core itself to generate composite. So previously, it was just S video. Chrome and Luma coming out of the mister. And you had to mix it externally. And I remember right. asking Mike Simone. And I was like, hey, Mike, 
how come you're mixing it externally? Why don't you just mix composite internally? And his answer back then was it was one of those programming engineering problems that seemed easier to do in a dongle, in hardware. And it seemed easier than coding it in software. And I guess, but now essentially what Sorg has implemented is that in software. Now, when it, I tried it, it's not very good. Doesn't, oh, really? I couldn't even get a proper stable picture. And that's well known. And to me, this reflects what Mike said. It's a fucking hard thing to do. So they've got beta version out right now. And I'm not sure. I, I think it may still always need a dongle or something. But, you know, it, to me, it was like a nice milestone that actually we're getting close to a place where you can just stick a composite cable straight into a mister and bada boom, bada bing, get some signal out. So I've been screwing around with all those updates. I'm looking forward to talking to Lou about it tomorrow. Uh, and getting that video out, all the frameworks are being updated, and uh, yeah, it, it looks great on the yeah. And, and the next thing, actually, Steve, your your thoughts on this concept? It feels like with the advent of uh, the S video and composite coming out of the Mister, these are as good as composite will ever like. Let's say composite; it's as good as composite will ever be. You know, like that format, that signal standard with the analogness. It, it's really as good it was ever be, and. Like, what was previously, Steve, when you needed the primo best of composite signal, what did you hook up to a monitor? How were you getting the best composite? Wow, that's a great, great question because there's so many weird things that can just even contribute to giving you bad composite video. Um, And even, uh, you know, like a guy like uh, Keith Rainey would be someone good to talk about (laughs) this more about like color and stuff because... And like Artemio, because he would explain to me that the colors are just naturally off on a lot of these old consoles. Right. Like the actual color spectrum is not the real, you know, it's mm. it's again, it's kind of like that, uh, that those color palettes on the original even Mar- or NES RGB mod. You could have a couple different palettes to choose from. Mm. And it was never it was always about which one looks better, which one's actually right, because you could be playing it on your TV through the compositor RF before that mod, and it could have looked either way. So um, going back to your question, I, I normally would try the SNES. Uh, mm-hmm. If you think about like the Sega Mega Drive or Genesis, unless you have that RGB modded and probably the, the TurboGrafx NEC console, those can produce like some pretty bad jail bars. Uh, just out of composite video. So there's a lot of, it's, you know, as you go further down the road in newer consoles, the composite video is a little bit better, I feel like. But um, I think like the SNES would be the earliest one I was really considering as a good test subject. I was thinking SNES. That's typically if I had to do, I've got a one chip here, but you can also get the same results by installing something like Voltars mod uh, to any stock uh, Super Nintendo. And that's what I would have thought to use. But someone did raise the uh, point to me, Wii. Wii is modern, good availability of component cables. Even a power one can technically do RGB. 480p can come out of a 240p. So if you're using the emulators, the Genesis emulator uh, with the homebrew on the Wii, the, it was suggested that using the emulator, putting out 240p is another extremely high quality way to get composite, which I'd forgotten about. Yeah, well, absolutely. And um, like you said, you can d- easily find Wii's st- everywhere. Yeah. And another, just one more thing about the older consoles is if you don't use a, either one of the really good few, like... Uh, power supplies that are mm. mo- modern or you do or you use an original one uh 
-hmm. You have to use those, or if you use some generic one, there's an, often a chance, especially over composite, it will add all kinds of artifacts and weird little um, things that shouldn't be there, almost like an RF signal where it would have snow in the picture. Mm -hmm. So that's something to consider, but our, uh, that's a really good point. So I'm using, th I'm using good quality third party ones. I've got a five volt and a nine volt. They're not triad, but they're another really good brand, high quality uh, ones. I've got like a polarity inverter. I've got different plug ends because like the PAL any super NES is like slightly different and you've got to check the center pin positive, nega pin positive and the, the firebrand X P PSU page is, is very good information uh, for all this so it's a good point about the quality of the power i run a few of my japanese consoles uh, i run them through a power converter so europe is 240 volts and japan is one i forget it's like, it's like a, 100 are you 100 you're 100 no you're 110. we're 110 120 you know okay. uh, japan's 100 Right, but even though broadly like compatible, right? As much as it's I've almost compatible so between us and Japan, but you can get like yeah. you can damage certain things because it, you know, uh, if so you, if you bring stuff, okay. like I, here's an example, just real quick. There's the Hakko mm -hmm. FR301, which is the mm -hmm. suction tool I've done a video on mm -hmm. that removes components. There's a Japanese version that's actually like twenty dollars cheaper than the American version, and that's the only difference is it runs on a hundred. Volts and if they've actually said people that have bought it in America have said that the actual thing will burn up after using it for like a year because of that extra voltage in it over time. That's interesting, and I wonder if particularly susceptible to it because it's a desoldering iron. There's a lot of heat, a lot yeah, of yeah, energy. Yeah. Lots of it's really it, right? sucking a lot of juice. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I'm using because I'm here in 240 volts. I yeah. definitely have to use a converter, and I think even for the for the Japanese. Anyway, for a few of those consoles, I am using just a fairly cheap downstep, what do you say, converter, 240 to 100 or 110 converter. And I can't see any jail bars or issues, but I'm always looking at it like, I bet there's a problem, it's going to be you, you know, <laughs> you fucking little thing. I bet. Gotcha. So I'm, I'm keen to see how uh, having these new changes to Mr., the S-Video and the, the Composite, uh, what... Does this help us some way with our monitor repairs to know that we're having essentially a new, very repeatable, with new hardware reference solution for analog video? I think that could be useful in what we do, Steve. Yeah, it's, it, it adds to the versatility of the DE10 Nano. If you, would, if you were to think about it as just a tool even to use, like you said, for calibration of monitors, well, if you can get the cleanest... S video and composite video out of that. That's a modern device and you know what you're outputting basically because what you're you know, that's all programmed. So it's hmm. yeah, that that is a really good idea to have and then you can mimic that signal on over. Now you're just then you're just using the other consoles as just like a testing, like real life scenario testing, unless someone is just using a mister also that this sure. is going to, which is quite often the case mm. nowadays. So yeah, it's exciting time for this stuff. It's it's interesting anyway, the nerd. The, yeah, the yeah. No, nerd. Once I, I finally got my head over it, I was really I like, think it's pretty darn yeah. awesome that like uh, right now, like you said, it's, it's pretty much new because it's just been integrated into the main updates. Mm. So 
we're at the really the beginning stages of that. So maybe I'm sure that by who knows when, but a lot of these things that maybe where you're saying it's it's not really working right now, that could change down the road if it's possible. I'm sure somebody will get obsessed with the topic. You know, <laughs> and finally out there, I don't have to rely on Mike because I know he's busy. He's got all this stuff. I want to to my listeners out there, the people who are FPGA programmers and devs, can someone just for the for me, just for me, make a core that can output CCAM, please? Just make. <laughs> I just want uh, for exactly that test purpose. I would love a unit that's like this is a hundred percent CCAM. We know what it is for the testing purposes for all these weird Euro oh monitors. Oh my goodness! So then you would put that. Do you actually find CCAM monitors that accept a signal better than, I mean, not, it wouldn't really matter, right? If you go better than S video, but I don't even know if they had CCAM S video. Uh, I guess they would because it, I, I, well, I, you know, good question. I pre presume yes, because it could just be, it was the same like power, but just a bit it out. different. Yeah. It was more that sometimes I get weird monitors. Also, let's not forget that apparently uh, back in the Soviet Union, that was CCAM yeah, as well right. before 91, right? So sometimes I find, I've showed you some of those weird TVs. old Soviet monitors with the TVs and the writing and they've only got RF. So right. I would, there are some, some use cases, I'm really stretching it, I know, but where it would be kind of useful to me to have a dedicated CCAM output just for, look, not for, not for science, just for shits and giggles. So well, maybe are. someone would be working on that at you some stage. You finally see some CCAM in action. Like you said, I don't... Um, <laughs> I do. So obscure. So obscure. Well, I don't know where I would ever even see, unless you, I imported right. it, where I would ever sure. even see a CCAM monitor or television. Um, it's pretty, pretty. I mean, where it's just CCAM. You know, these just other ones CCAM, CCAM yeah, but yeah. it would be fun because then I could test CCAM on the PVMs and see, again, what it looks like. Because, you know, if you put, again, PAL on the PVM that supports both PAL and NTSC, it will, you know, shrink the size of the screen, like it put it at the different 50 hertz, you know, so it's, it's actually doing something. So like you say, it would be fun to actually just see what's going on and have like what's a test it, yeah. suite and uh, yeah, a Mario yeah. port to CCAM only <laughs> <laughs> a CCAM Nintendo, but it probably wouldn't have been called Nintendo, right? To get around the Soviet Union. If oh, back like, in the Soviet yeah. no, That was Dendi. That was Dendi, what they called them. In the oh, world. really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's another good point. I have all these old shitty Dendi systems. They oh, were really? the knockoff okay. family clones that were available in the Soviet Union. So there is some point to it. It's not just me being a weirdo. Uh, it'd be fun to test some <laughs> shit like that. So who knows how things are opening up. Devs are getting into it. And it'll be a good story to know. I, would like, I haven't yet found the kind of backstory about how Saw came to the, uh, uh, integrate the this stuff into the framework uh and and move there so we're getting to that this is all an evolving topic we're getting we're getting to that has getting... Uh, yeah and i wonder i mean i wonder if there ever will be like a good my life in gaming style documentary on kind of the development mm. side of all the vister uh, but i feel like there's probably too many crazy people that are like way out there that maybe probably i don't know if they could sit down for an interview you know, well, history's still happening. The yeah, that's the thing too. It's like the history's still yet. happening, yeah. and so it's like, does it? Is this going to be like five years from now? That'll be the big project. If <laughs> if there's, I don't know. You know, they're always mm -hmm. talking about now, like what's the next thing going to be beyond the Mister? But I don't, yeah. I don't know, because the Mister's been around for a while now, and 
established, but you have to figure that eventually, you know, that that technology itself will just become phased out and it'll have to be built around something else, right? Sure. Because that stuff will just become harder to get. And then, like, we're already at a point now where getting a new DE10 Nano is um, over $200 still. Well, it's just, I, look, I don't have the full info, but just today uh, I was seeing a lot of posts from A-Track 17 about a new, an attempt to kind of on what you were saying, Steve. So rather than the DE10 Nano, they're attempting to use a few smaller boards There's a, a um, and use some more commodity-based, cheaper stuff that's kind of available from AliExpress and then patch them together, it seemed, with some add-on boards or daughter boards or something like that to see if they could get somewhere with this. And it, it, so it's that sort of, Maybe that's coming together, so not relying on the D10 Nano, but sort of patching together a bunch of different boards that are more commonly available. So, I look, I understand where they're coming from with this. And before anyone gets goes crazy, the D10 Nano is going nowhere. No, it's that's not going out. It, of style. it doesn't even yeah. matter. Like if the retro gaming market just stopped buying them 100% for misters, it wouldn't matter. Those would already be pre-sold and gone for some other reason, because we know that these devices are used. I guarantee you we couldn't even imagine the ideas that people have used around these things in schools and developed things for probably industries that are based around these devices and using, you know, specific homebrewed code for that device to do different things. I feel like if we stop buying them, there would still be the same amount of people almost wanting them. Right? I mean still wanting them. Yeah, it's like Raspberry Pis. It's like if people want them, they go out of stock. <laughs> And that's all we're, you know, still in the so stock before, before thing. We, before we get to our main topic for the day, one final thing I just wanted to let everybody in on uh, now that it's public knowledge. I just want to speak briefly about our friend Shank and his odd obsession oh, yeah. with creating BVM cards. The young man has worked <laughs> out with his electronic wizardry how to add things onto BVM input cards. And he had that Wii that he'd integrated into a BVM input card. And then the other night, and I know he dropped a tweet as well, he dropped a bunch of sample designs that he'd knocked up. And one of them I feel like was such a sleeper. And it's the simplest idea. A straight-up HDMI input for a BVM. Yeah. And it doesn't do no conversion. Don't do nothing to the signal. If you send 240p over HDMI, boom, that's what your monitor gets. And I'm like, holy shit, that's a fucking sleeper of a fantastic idea. Yeah, that is a great idea. And... Well, and if, um, cause you could even use that, the card that he's been developing this around is one that's very versatile. It goes in PVMs that are analog only all the way up to the, um, highest end BVM that there really is, is a D series. Now, is it the L card? Like it's equivalent yeah, to Martin's Yeah, it's one. the exact, yeah, it's okay. based off Martin's, uh, you know, mm. reverse engineering of the original BKM129X. And, you know, this was goodness gracious. It seems like when you think about this kind of projects, it really makes you feel like you're old when you've been talking about stuff that you're <laughs> like, oh, my goodness, this has been like four years ago now when people were just like looking for this silly PVM card. And now it's just blossomed into this madness. But, uh, yeah, those are some great designs. The fact that you could get HDMI in and if you can send it in in the analog form and it or all the way up to 1080i really on those with your multi-format yeah, yeah with the multi-format ones that's pretty pretty amazing because i think 
because then it, it dawned on me, well, what outputs HDMI RetroTINK 5X? Yeah. So you're sending a signal straight right? into that. Is that? It, it, you, you don't can... have to do nothing. Yeah, the output of the RetroTINK 5X goes straight into this card. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're getting... Wow, that is... Yeah, it's exactly what you need to do, you know, to have the... <laughs> I want to the ask most you about expensive portable D nine <laughs> in the world that could do <laughs> analog to HDMI back to an analog tube. <laughs> oh, so cool! I want to ask you about cards because I've sort of cards in a BVM because I've sort of generically just said BVM card, but not every monitor has the same card like i only have one i think i have the 9l is it 9l5 uh that can take those cards okay all my 14s and my 20 i've got the 20 e1e or whatever e, the e, e11 e1e anyway yeah that one doesn't take the same card no 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 and it takes a bigger the, card right takes a bigger card so it's not actually very useful for me but not all what are the most common bvm cards is it those ones for the l series Man, there's like, I'm sure that the more common one just looking online would be something that's for the bigger BVM series, the 20 inch one, kind of like the ones that you have. And it would be just okay. random, silly, extra input video cards for that would do maybe like component video for like your monitor mm, or like okay. the F series monitor. And if you actually found an E series or an F series that was 14 inches, those use the bigger cards. So they use the same size cards as the 20 inches. So that's a reason there was so many of those cards because it was in both sizes. But then you get into the one where Shank is working on. That one was only going up to the 14 inches. They had smaller cards in that one. And then when you got up to the 20 inches, they went back to the same size cards that you have in your E-series. It's the same size. Now, they, they, these cards are not interchangeable between families, really. So the 20L, am I just making up monitors? The 20L5, is that a real monitor? Yeah, that's the multi-format said... Right, that's PVM. the big one. That's so that takes the big one. ones. No, actually, that... <laughs> that's funny <laughs> See, enough. That's why I was going with this. That's <laughs> funny enough, no. So the 20, uh, the, that's, the, we were talking about BVMs before. Now we switch over to PVMs, okay? In the PVM format, there are some 20-inchers, and those are all the L2s. L4s and L5s. Those each have a single slot in the back of them, mm -hmm. and that will fit one of these cards in it. So the same, any of these family of cards that that we're talking about that Shank has been working on. And really, if you haven't seen them already, go over to Shank's um, Shank's uh, Twitter because I'm not going to do like a video on every single console <laughs> that Shank puts on a BVM. That would be funny. All right, here's another short. Shake put this on a BBM. Shake put, you know, it's all referring to one tweet where it's like eight different items he has designed on these cards. Dude, at least and Game 10 Boy minutes Advance. Of every 10 minutes of every podcast is something like, Shake did this. Yeah, a, right, a Raspberry Pi uh, fit up for a card, Raspberry Pi on a card, which is another great idea because then, well, I mean, I still feel like probably between the two and Shank would, I'm sure, agree, you'd just rather have the Wii on the card than the pretty cool than the raspberry pi unless you were doing something else with the pie like very different maybe and then of course like a d10 nano on a card that's obviously po probably yeah, possible that's but that's crazy as well 
That's right. Kind of thing. So, so what is coming back to that question where you said what's the most common card? But how to say? I was trying to phrase my question like, what's of all the monitors that you've seen? Would you say very broadly, are most of them is the most common card format this smaller one, or what's the most common uh, card format? No, because again. Uh... It's not the the most common one that I'll see. Again, are the bigger ones, the big ones. Okay, and then, uh, but it's hard to say now. I haven't really gotten a load of cards in in, in years. It's like it's all probably kind of rare now. I, uh, but I I seem to see less of of the smaller cards, and maybe they were easy to like recycle and just toss out or something. I'm not sure because they're smaller, or if they just didn't make as many of them. Um, I've only seen like a handful of the S video card like that mm-hmm. Sony made. And then we know that some of the cards, even for like the A series, they only made 300 of certain ones. Right. So yeah. it's, it's hard to say, but I believe the reason that, again, I see the most of that big card format is because it was the same size as like the, and that's again, there's like a G series and F series and an E series that were all analog only. And they had 14 and 20s, and each of those had the same size cards. So they're the bigger ones. Okay. And then the D so anyway, series people... has bigger ones, and every other bigger one has a bigger card. <laughs> okay. So there's many formats of card. They certainly weren't standardized, and you really got to pay attention if you need some inputs. Because right. I don't see many cards for sale on eBay. I Like how to say, I don't no, see much I, sort of I might have some cards right here somewhere mm-hmm. if you want me to grab them. But, oh, it's all right. No, okay. Maybe. Yeah, I don't. I'll be gone for a minute then. But yeah, no, it's all good. But let's let's, let's keep on moving then. So we wanted to have a longer talk in this episode, and Steve's got more experience with this. I'm just getting into it. eBay selling, where it's at right now. We've got some things that are specifically U.S. Yeah, tax definitely. requirements that are very interesting. Say. My perspective is eBay's lovely, but I live in the United States of Europe, where <laughs> there are often. Uh, local sellers and local marketplaces and things like that so let's start off what are some of your feelings right now i know a tweet this week kicked it off yeah yeah so i'm not um for years selling on ebay i felt like was kind of a fun experience and it wasn't so much about um you know making a lot of money but it it was it was about having a place where you could easily go if you wanted to and, and list items and then sell the item. And uh, you were, of course, always paying fees. And, you know, if you were doing this on a basis of being a business person to make money from this, like, again, I'm I'm not talking about the guys that you see on YouTube that have, like, their sheds full of stuff they've been buying all year from yard sales and they sell for a hundred times that price on ebay every day with like a hundred listings that's a business and you should be and you have been i'm sure if you're in that business legally reporting all your income as a tax but you know basis but anyway back to the problem now so ebay used to be really great but Mm -hmm. this year um it's kind of a storm of maybe a couple of things happening at the same time. And uh, one of those is in the United States. They lowered a threshold for where you get a taxable income document. Uh, and, And that makes a big difference if you sell on eBay, because this new law requires eBay, PayPal, like Venmo, uh, cash app, things like that. They have to now report transactions, uh, 
over $600. And that's just not like one transaction. That's every transaction that you do. Okay. So um, that's just part of the things that have been implemented this year. And then it's been probably two years since I've actually sold anything on eBay. I sold a lot of stuff for a while. Like I have a good hundred percent rating and uh, lots of feedback. So it's been a long time since I sold anything. I recently, right after the Super Bowl in the United States, which had the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Philadelphia Eagles in this game. And the only reason that's relevant to this story is the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. I had a couple of two rookie cards from uh, packs of cards that I had sent to a grading company and they put a grade of 9 out of 10 on there. And it's PSA grading. And so this is a little bit of an overview of that. But anybody who knows anything about what I'm talking about understands, uh, like, that's the way you get basically the highest price for your collectible on the market. You get it graded. And then there's, like, you can go on and you can see an exact amount that's paid for that graded item at that grade. So anyway, I wanted to just cash in on a couple of these things. I mean, um, I wanted to see how much I could sell them for. So I got on there and they were selling right around $90 each. So I had gotten mine out. I put them on there. It's really easy with this. You just, you know, just create a listing and I put them up there and I put them at like the, the price that would sell. I go $1 less so that if you would get on there and you would search new listings, cheapest price, uh, it would show mine first, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So, I got in there, I did that, and used to be like that. You would get pretty good traction like that, and the stuff would sell rather rather quickly. Uh, this time, it wasn't getting, like, sold. Not only that, it wasn't getting, like, viewed. It was mm. getting, like, 10 views, and it didn't make sense because this item was selling a lot. This was right after the Super Bowl, like, the mm. day after, up into that first week. And, I mean, nobody's looking at this listing. It's got, like, each one of them has, like, 30 views over a week. So finally, you know, eBay starts sending me these offerings. It's like, well, would you like to pay us to promote your listing? <laughs> and I was like, you know what? These sons of bitches. I bet you. I bet you your stuff never sells anymore unless you do this. So I was like, forget it. I'm going to I'm going to click yes. And I'm just going to see what happens. And so I click yes. And, you know, lo and behold, like 24 hours later, the mm. listing has gotten, you know, tenfold the views and watchers on the item that it had for the prior seven days, like combined. Right. And was the price still $1 less? Yeah. It was like the lowest best price of this sure. said item for buy it. Now uh, people were doing auctions and they'd go for like a dollar or two more than the price mm -hmm. I had at. Or, so this item has a pretty firm, pretty established price. It's not yeah. like some of our more obscure items where like, well, it's about 60. This is like really well-known price. That's the good thing about this. These like style of mm -hmm. items, when you get them graded, it's like there's the solid price, today's mm -hmm. market price. One was, you know, you have like, again, a half a dozen of them that just sold in the last 24 hours. It's very easy to go and say, all right, at eBay, it sells for this dollar figure. Mm -hmm. So anyway... Yeah, that's like an item. So to play to play devil's advocate with right. this situation, okay. uh, eBay. The point is, eBay didn't promote you until you gave them money, which I believe is true, right? But did you also maybe next time try experimenting rather than a dollar? Maybe for a dollar, people like 
this guy hasn't fucking sold anything for two years. Who the hell is this Steve? What kind of name is Nutter? I'm not buying from this guy. Uh, fuck it. I'll go to a, a, a trading card, you know, well-known trading card store for a dollar. So what if you made it five bucks less? Still nothing. Does 10 bucks make it, you know, how, how much lower do you have to put yeah. it to make that interesting? A 7% too. But I mean, it doesn't well, okay. like... So the ad is seven percent. It is. So. It is interesting. I don't know how many of those buyers are actually going in and because again, if you like look at me, if you look at my sales account from a distance, unless you went in there and it still does have some seller feedback just okay. logged in there, but um, I maintain buying things on there, of course. So there's like six hundred feedback on it, and it okay. so right. it's and it's all one hundred percent. So I don't know. There probably is some people that probably look at it and go, "Oh wait, no, this guy actually isn't selling anything for a long time." But but prior to this, what I would sell is comic books most of the time. I'd go find some comic books in bins and sell them for, you know, a dollar or two more than I make on them a couple times or twice, you know, five dollars or something. But that's how you like build up, you know, the the over time the uh, reputation on the website. But you get to the point where again we I paid the extra seven (laughs) percent. And like on this $85 items, uh, I, they, they both sold like pretty fast, less than a week after suspiciously fast. I mean, yeah, within a week and, and close to each other. Right. Uh, so they sold, uh, to good buyers and Mm -hmm. which is good. I mean, you don't want a good buyer. I packed them up, but shipped them both out and they were about $4 and 50 cents in postage a piece. And uh-huh. that was another thing I've always done on those kind of items is put free shipping in the U.S. where I pay the shipping costs. And instead of collecting an extra $4 for shipping, because okay. something about people seeing free shipping uh, makes them want to, used to make them want to buy more and mm. be more prone to buy from me if you're offering free shipping. And it really doesn't matter anyway, because if I collect shipping fees, eBay would still take a percentage of the shipping fees that I was paid. So it's like, why even just add the shipping cost to the item and put that? How as much the price? was the item? If I can ask, it was general, $85. So that was 85. the listed. Both of them were $85 a piece. 85. So the, so it was actually the other ones were selling for 86, 87. Yeah, they were selling. Well, like it was that. more like between 85 to 89 was like the sales okay. point at this time sure. period. It is an asset that changes. That's why people don't, you know, that's why they're still on auction. So it goes down like five dollars, goes up ten, goes down, five, you know, blah blah blah. So, so that's interesting. So you've had to pay eBay for the ad, which is another seven percent. So you've essentially to make your ad sell, you've got like I'm sitting around, I'm Steve, nothing's selling. I got some choices. I can either pay seven percent, which is six bucks, and make eBay, you know get put into the algorithm and you pay so you lose six there or my plan was reduce the price but you can if you reduce it six bucks to make people buy it that's that more than six percent i've given well six bucks is the seven yeah so you've so either i discount it by seven bucks six bucks or give ebay six somehow you gotta give away six bucks (laughs) yeah to get it on sell this item so yeah, there's a, there's that consideration, but the weird thing was is like I'm looking at the money I actually got back, and it's like they pay they paid me out directly now instead of paying to PayPal, 
which mm-hmm. thank goodness, golly, I couldn't imagine if you like got paid to PayPal and then you got double this tax document just because you got money into PayPal than out of PayPal. So anyway, uh, they paid me directly. And the first one, after I sold it for $85 and paid the $4 and 50 cents to ship it, mm-hmm. uh, my cut given back was like $53. <laughs> and I was like, what? And so I have, I have not researched it. I don't know what the level of fees are on items specifically from them. Uh, so, I, but I was just, I was blown away and uh, by how low that was. And then I sold the second one and it, they paid me for some reason a little bit more. So I thought maybe they paid me a little less on the first one. And the other one was about $63. So hmm. the second time they paid me a little more. Um, but yeah, I was like blown away with paying you know, so much in the fees. And then if you think about it, you subtract four or 50 from what they actually paid me at the end of the day, because I had to ship it on my own. And I was like, golly, that's disgusting. I was like, I'd have rather gone on like, and this is what we're talking about. What are the alternatives to that? So you can, Mm. we don't have to jump into that quite yet, but you could think, well, like you said, well, instead of selling it on eBay, for $85 and you're actually taking home only about 50 of that to 55 mm-hmm. after your cost of everything, you're only taking home 50 to 55 bucks. Would you be better to go meet some guy at a cart shop and mm-hmm. sell it to him for 50 bucks and not have the headache at all? Just hand it to him, get your $50 yeah. and go on your merry way. And I'm thinking that the answer is obviously now has been forced to for me personally yes it's like it's a better idea to go and almost take like a 20 to 30 percent loss on the item and realize that that's that that's the insanity of the ebay fees now and that just makes me feel more sympathetic for people who try to sell items on ebay uh and realizing how much they're actually paying in fees like I, that's the silliest thing isn't it like the people flipping these video games that are new buy them for 60 well you have to sell that for 90 to make 10 bucks just to make money off that it's it sounds very much like uh well everyone's uh moving money around columns to try and do a bit of fuckery like even you are <laughs> a little bit because you're taking the shipping out to try to do a little bit right i'll integrate the shipping so there's no shipping fee like there and it's a common thing you know maybe you you take uh money out of the base or you do the opposite and then you put more in shipping and you feel like well that's shipping so it's okay and you feel better about yourself even though you've paid net or whatever the same amount of money so money can be moved around columns to influence people definitely um, and to me, that's all eBay has done here. So they want you to sell. What they're, it sounds like what they're saying to you is you can just list the shit on your site and it, maybe no one will find it for this amount of money. But if you pay plus 7%, then it'll also get pushed out to people. Now, this might work to your advantage if you have a platform to bring people in, in which case eBay just becomes dumb, right? eBay just becomes, well, even less valuable. So, oh, comparing, yeah, you yeah. know, comparing that to, like, uh, somebody with a platform that they can directly talk to people, yeah, much... So, that's not useful. My, uh, we have a, a thing here when we sell comedy tickets in Estonia. There's the largest uh, ticket-selling website. Now there's other ones, but they were the dominant one for years. And so now there's a scheme where when I sell a ticket, the commission is 6% to them, 
which actually not that bad. I actually don't have complaints with this company compared to Ticketmaster. I know how shit things are with Ticketmaster. <laughs> so these guys are all right. 6% if I sell a ticket. However, if I add a little tracking code to the URL, so if someone goes to their website, there's an extra bit at the end of the URL, and that means I sent them there. Someone came from our social media, from our website, from our Facebook. If I have sent the customer to the website, they've got the tracking token. And when the ticket seller detects the tracking token, it's the sale is only 4.5% commission. So meaning, what that means, if a customer walks into the website on their own, comes from their own channels, it's 6%. If I send the customer there from my channels, 4.5%. So you're trying it, to f- fight the actual natural whatever following here and get as many people going through your route to get your right. business more of a percentage. Sure. So it we are incentivized in this situation to get people going through our link. So, for example, when uh, I put a post on whatever social media and um, – you know, it says get tickets now at this link. Now I have two choices. I could send them the standard, the company's called Pileta Levy. I could send the Pileta Levy link, like a big long thing. What I do is I just create like, I don't know, like Dylan Moran is coming. He's a famous Irish comedian. I just registered Dylan Moran punct, or dot, sorry, Dylan Moran dot EE. And then it just redirects to the ticket vendor with the big long URL that has the tracking code. So our message to customers is just go to dylanmorin.ee, get your tickets there. And okay. then they go there and they're like, oh, I'm on Pilar de Levy. Yes, I, I know this is the regular web seller. And we still have a logo that says the ticket seller's website. We're not trying to hide it. Right. So in that, in that way, by proving that we can bring people in, we get a slightly lower commission. So... Something similar with eBay, but then, you know, if you're bringing the people in yourself, let's say Steve, he's a wonderful influencer. So many people follow Steve and the influence that he puts out over the retro gaming community. He's a part of the Illuminati. That's what I've heard. (laughs) So if you are bringing people in and you don't need eBay's algorithm, then the question comes, is there a better place that just, I just need to take someone's money. (laughs) <laughs> credit card transaction essentially right 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 well that's a situation i run into normally because i don't the only reason the only reason in this specific instance i sold this type of a collectible is because like you said this is not a normal type of collectible that i sell very often yeah i do sell um sometimes you know there's a there's another guy i know that his his dad actually runs uh card booths so i've sold him a lot but i do the same Mm. thing for him i'm like i'm completely reasonable so i sell him stuff at like 50 to 60 percent of its high market value because i know he has to make money he's got a shop and um he luckily money in your pocket right now i got pocket money now and so it's a good way to get rid of it Uh, you get to get rid of a good portion of it everybody feels happy and it's a win-win he can go make money off it in his business and I don't have to hold a thousand things in my, you know, mm. area anymore. You can clear out some storage. But um, the other problem that triggered a lot of people in this post about eBay was the whole tax thing. So um, we can like the, the another um, problem is that tax threshold in the United States where and we'll just go into this briefly because, again, we're not trying to promote like. 
Amer- I'm not because Lewis, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, right? I'm learning. So I'm let's learning. just let's just go through a little bit of this educationally because we're not trying to promote anything anything illegal, but we need to know mm. what really happens because if you're selling stuff on eBay, etc., you need to know what's really going to happen. Mm. And like I said, if you're already running a business where you're selling things, you're normally you, you know you unless you're Al Capone, you're not hiding your income. You know, that's mm. unless you're said that style, you're not hiding your income when you're selling a lot of items. So prior to this year, the threshold was like twenty thousand dollars. So the threshold goes and it's like two hundred items. So if uh-huh. you the idea was if you sold under two hundred items in an annual period or less than twenty thousand dollars, you didn't have to worry about getting a ten ninety nine. Well, they reduced that to just the $600, which is an incredibly low number. Like, that's like jumping off a cliff. That $600 threshold is tie- is normally the threshold where if I go and work for somebody as either an employee or whatever, once I get over $600 in income from them, that's the level that I have to get an, a, ten, uh, a tax document from them. Mm-hmm. Like, that's okay. the level. If you work under $600 – for a company for a week, they you know they still report you the taxes, but that's not going to generate an actual tax document. Okay, so in America, okay. so if you do that, so they, but anyway, the six hundred dollar problem on eBay is how many how many items are there going to be now that are going to be sold on eBay that are going to generate over six hundred dollars, and then you have all these people that maybe sold one or two things that are really high-end items, unless they kept good documentation of the time they purchased said item, they how do they deduct off the cost of that item? That's the only way. It, it's, it could be like, for example, we're in the CRTs. If you are, uh, you know, little Stevie Retro, and you run around and you got your dream PVM, but you bought it at the height of... Uh, free money insanity in the United States in 2020, and you were a keyboard warrior. You finally picked one up, and you got it shipped to your house. Everything was great, but you paid $2,700 for the thing on eBay. Now, thankfully, you have that transaction somewhere in your eBay history. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, you're going to go now, and if you tried to resell that item on eBay, you're not going to make the original $2,700 unless you sell it for $3,500, then you'll clear 2700 after the fees. Mm-hmm. But not only that, you've generated a tax document that says you generated $3,500 that you're accountable to the, to the IRS to. Mm-hmm. And then you got to say, okay, well, it's fine. I've got my documentation here from where I purchased said item. But then you're responsible for keeping that documentation filed in your files for seven years. In case you get audited, they could go back seven years and say, what were you doing? Where did this money come from? So that was my big complaint. It wasn't to tell anybody to try to avoid the taxation if you're running a business, right? That wasn't yeah. the sneaky thing. Because the thing that really set me off about the Twitter post, and I suggest anybody go check it out. I made it on like the February 24th. You can follow that thread. And there are like some serious simping for Uncle Sam out there where these people are like, well, if you just question this system, you're you're obviously a tax cheat. And I was like, you you know, jerk off. No one's t- t- un-American I was like, thing yeah, what, what kind of simp are you doing? You know, and I laughed. Roger posted this thing about bootlicking meme and yeah. I was just dying. But I was just, I was like, how, 
And again, they're like, well, this is actually the law. And I'm like, dude, just because of the law doesn't mean it can't be bitched about. And it doesn't mean that they pass laws that are always great. There are always laws that have passed that can be retracted. This is not a good law. This is going to, for me personally, I feel like this is going to, this on top of the extra fees you're paying selling on eBay. Mm. If you're somebody who just sells a couple things on eBay, then yeah, you'd be like, maybe I'll just sell 500 bucks worth and then I'll just stop because I don't want to have to worry about all the documentation that comes with mm. getting the 1099. I don't want to so worry about keeping it. So you get the 1099, it. then you've got to prove. So you, then you've got to hold yes. the purchase receipts for those items. So you can later prove that this is not just 500 easy money in my pocket, yeah. that I paid whatever amount, 400 or more or less or whatever it is. <laughs> but I can prove a payment for that and therefore show the tax man, look, I'm actually only earned net. 50 or whatever. right or you took that's what i don't understand like in businesses if you take a bunch of lo- what are these people if they take a bunch of losses why can't they write off losses all of a sudden on their taxes on the stupid shit they sell and then like i don't understand is that the next manipulation of the tax code is people are going to say oh well i lost five thousand dollars selling this on ebay and so that means i get to have a seven thousand or five thousand dollar write-off on my taxes this year so is that how it went? I, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Is that the insanity of this whole system? I don't I don't get it. So um, maybe if there's anybody that's actually followed that over here <laughs> and, and struggled to get through this whole spiel and you, you're like, oh, Steve, you're so completely wrong on this subject. You know, feel free to let us know how. Uh, well, the tax justified. law changed, and you don't like the change. Oh right? yeah, who it's a nobody likes a pain in the neck. Tax it, it changed. Not only is there there's cost to you because now you've got to pay the the tax on that. You've got to pr- not only that. There's the administrative cost that you have to go That's through to prove that. Right, that is also time and money for you to prove to keep all those receipts and then prove it all and do all that later. It's not tax evasion because my question. Uh, then, so in theory, in your great United States of America, if I sell something for seven hundred bucks on eBay, then it gets automatically ten ninety nine. Government finds out about it, rah, rah, rah. But in theory, then, if we are simping for the government, does that mean that if I sell my couch for seven hundred bucks, I am supposed to report that to the government? It's already been reported. That's the thing. Once you sell it, it the the 1099 is a government document. It goes to the government and to the tax person. So but let's say I sell it cash. Yeah, if, right? no. Theory. That's the thing. If you go if you go down hmm. and you sell it through cash. No, you don't have to uh Huh. Why? Why is cash? What? Because it's not done on eBay. It's the same transaction, yeah. let's say. That's the but that's done on the eBay, it tracks the 10.99. They probably want to move to like digital currency to try to eliminate from people well, from doing tracked. that. So, so that's that like... the, I'm kind of going through these simp arguments, right? So legally, though, it says if I sold that couch for 700 bucks in cash, if I was being a hundred percent letter of the law, good boy scout, whatever. Should I? So there's not an obligation to report that. Oh no, no you one mean never like, would. Why would you like? Yeah, why would you report that? That doesn't even like in America. If you sell your house and you you don't profit beyond a certain level, you don't even have to report that. That's the weird thing. Like there's so many. That's the thing. American tax law is insane. It's like it's like five times longer than the Bible, maybe ten times. So it's sure. definitely got so much jargon in it. 
and it's meant to be so complicated and complex. And then all they do is they say they want to simplify it. And then instead we get stuff where it's not simplified. It's actually more difficult. Again, if somebody, if somebody lived in a household and they were selling four dollars $5,000 worth of stuff on eBay, but it wasn't an, I, it wasn't the thing like they weren't, profiteering off it right it's like mm. oh you know over the year like you you bought your couch if you're selling a couch for seven hundred dollars you bought that couch for five thousand dollars because there's no way it's going to hold its value right sure. so that's the thing is like all of a sudden if you sell it on this platform this platform is obligated to purport that to the uh to the irs if you mm. sell it in the wanted ads on the newspaper or in Facebook Marketplace. And I don't know if eventually all that will change, but that's kind of like, what's your alternative to eBay? You know, you still have these archaic things in America like uh, Facebook Marketplace. And yeah, if you want to go really old school, regular. you can do Craigslist. Yeah, okay. And, I mean, uh, also here in Europe, every country uh, has its own different solution. Uh, so eBay, there's not really a pan European online classifieds. Uh, so you've got to know the particular one in each country or there's a number of them. Facebook Marketplace is not too bad. Whenever I travel, I can just change the location and, and do a quick check. So I don't think they're, they're archaic. But before we – we do want to talk about what's next because what to do. But before we do that, there is one more uh, big downfall of eBay. And I have to admit it's scaring me a little bit when I think about doing it, which is this returns policy. This seems like the fucking Wild West – where yeah. people can just be like, nah, didn't get it. Nah, Ooh. it was broken. Nah, and then all of a sudden for, for low volume sellers, that seems like could be a real trap if you happen to get someone who doesn't want to play ball with you. Well, there's, there's people that will use these burner accounts pretty much on eBay and they'll buy items. There's a, you can look on YouTube. I've seen a couple of videos where people have sold, like you said, high-ticket items, right? And they get bought, and they get paid for immediately by the credit card. And then, like, when they sh right after they ship it, they get reported as not arriving. Mm. And then they, like, send back a box that's just basically an empty box with a box inside, so it feels like it has something in it. Mm. And I've seen that happen. And then uh, nowadays, like, the credit card companies are fighting to pay that transaction because it could be a stolen credit card that was used to pay for it to begin with. And if that's the case, then you're screwed. You know, like if you get paid by a stolen credit card, they're just taking money away from you. Um, yeah. So it's it's a tricky situation. It uh, seems a bit scary. Now, on the other hand, I do understand why that system might be there. And absolutely, I'm not trying to say that is a completely negative system. Uh, it is very good for the buyer. There is unfortunately people who will take care of it. So in looking for another solution, we're not sort of trying to avoid customer protection. I think it's more, and we can, actually we'll get into a moment, I gotta go to the toilet, but it's more like, what, is there a better solution for Steve? Is there a better solution yeah, well, for individuals definitely. without needing you know, to do that? I'm gonna, let me just go to the yeah. And okay. then we're going to go into what the hell else can we do besides eBay? Sounds good. You want to jump back in there? All right. Yeah. So we'll go back. All right. We've had the, we've had the toilet break. So finally, if, if e look, eBay sucks for a number of reasons, it seems. The fees are going up. The hidden fees. All this voodoo about do you have to sponsor the ad? Not only that, then uh, tax implications are growing and growing and growing. It's less of this community-style spirit of selling something, and it's more like, I don't know that. And 
as a seller, you at least need to be wary of these return policies and at least understand what could possibly happen. So there's a lot of that. So the question then becomes, what the hell else? Yeah. Do you do? Do we have to run our own Oof. web shops these days? Or it's, what do we? Well, man, it's almost like that. I don't know what the fees are for Etsy and those other places, but I feel like, and I feel like you're still going to run into any one of these like internet based companies where you actually list an item and you use their site probably mm. to collect money through it. But then I don't know. There's a certain items that are sold on Facebook Mar- Marketplace where I live where it seems like they're sold directly through Facebook. So I don't. But that's, Facebook is that's an interesting one. Facebook and Craigslist might be. Let's put them in categories. Yeah. Facebook and Craigslist are just marketplaces. That's you still gotta connect, do an external transfer, Etsy, eBay, and other platforms where you can take their money in the platform. They're that's different. That's the idea. I think they're very different offerings. And that's that's yeah. So that's like that's the only like thing left out there is going out to a physical swap meet. <laughs> Or um, having another avenue to facilitate a sale. And then, like you said, you're taking on the personal risk of collecting the payment, you know, Mm. all that and the personal responsibility of doing that. So it's it's going backwards, right? It's going backwards to like what we said, the early days of Craigslist, the early days of Facebook Marketplace and even... um, I had mentioned this to to Bob as a laughable idea, but again, like a classified ads place where you just go and say, hey, I have this for sale, right? Where like people could go in and just list something on a classified style platform, similar to right. what they're doing on the other marketplaces. But then, of course, Bob rightfully so said there'd be too, too many crazies would <laughs> would associate a retro RGB with like being a ripoff because something happened in their transaction through the website. So I completely So okay, it. those customer protections can be useful. We're not trying to discredit yeah. them or say like, oh, it's a horrible thing. But as if something yeah, bad did can... happen, right? Somebody used that and like robbed yeah. somebody, right? Of something because. So whatever. I guess it's about the number of transactions. Like if you're doing such a low amount, there is a possibility now with your position in your platform that you could know those people make direct contact with them i I guess try to yeah that's what i well the best say like the best um probably the way you're going to pay the i i I, it doesn't really matter somewhat because you're still if you're using a payment system there's only like one electronic payment system that i know of that won't generate the uh 1099 Mm -hmm. and that is the payment system of zelle Z-E-L-L-E, and it's like tied to bank accounts all over. That transactional thing does not generate the 1099, so it's either that, but there's also zero buyer protection with that, right? Mm. You send the money to wherever you send it, it is gone, and there's no getting it back. It's done. And so there's that method of payment, and that's similar to cash. Like Mm. So that and cash. So uh, those are your only two methods of payment that aren't going to be like logged in this new logging system. So either way, most of the time people are going to use some other form of electronic payment like PayPal, Venmo, uh, Google Pay, whatever they use. And that's always going to now draw that 1099. The thing is, is maybe you can get in places and, like I said, avoid a lot of these 20-plus percent points you're paying selling the thing on eBay. If you have to pay the fee anyway, you could go 
into specific groups on Facebook that are, you know, that are actually sellers like the PVM group. I promote sometimes uh, in Facebook. There's a group where listings come available. People, if they want to sell it, they'll put it on there for a PVM. So if you have an item that people want and you want to just, there's a, there's groups like for every asset that you can meet buyers that are looking to buy and you can list the item in there like that or, and on top of that in the general marketplace. So that's another so those, avenue. Those sites, so they're Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, who are saying sites that don't accept or don't need you to give payment to them, right? They also, however, tend to be more regional-based because yeah. if I'm not paying you online, then I have to meet you or do some sort of, let's say in Europe, I should have maybe a, at least in the same country, I can do a bank transfer super easy and you know stuff like that. So... Those styles are like this older style. And what that's telling me is that in your grand union of a large country, to sell to somebody, there's value in buyer protection, both for the buyer and the seller. And it's bad sometimes, but you're saying like, you're saying, oh, buyer protection is bad sometimes for the seller, but then you're like, well, it is kind of needed, some form of that. So apparently, if we want to sell to people a long way away, Buyer protection is something that needs to be factored into that. If you wish to sell to the national market, then buyer protection, the cost of that, needs to be factored into that transaction somewhere. If you don't want to pay buyer protection, then you're limited to your local geographic regional area. It's just another cost of business, I guess, is a way to look well, at that Well, yeah, and like you... you you're correct on the fact about buyer protection being important because anytime you become a buyer, you want buyer protection because yeah. 99% of the time buyers are legitimate that are buying something and they're not trying to run a scam and they just want to have a peace of mind that you're not trying to rip them off or that you'll do what you said. Now, if you, you know, personally, like what could Steve do? Well, Steve has a lot of options because I've got, a, a social media presence within a market and I can easily go those places and avoid all these, you know, pitfalls. Mm-hmm. Um, however, at the same time I'm in business. So when I make business transactions that involve stuff that are in my business, I still, even though I might, I would be wise to go about finding the least expensive way to collect a payment and to capitalize on getting as much of that said payment into my business, right? I shouldn't have to go and be forced to pay 3% to PayPal if I don't have to. If I've built up a good enough reputation where buyers feel protected enough in just my word, Hmm. that's the key. But it's hard. It's not going to be, you know, like I said, I'm lucky because, you know, I have some place. And I think even Hmm. if you have just even... um, somewhat of a following within a, a a sphere on Twitter. A lot of people I see list things on there and seem to do very well. You don't have to have a few, huge following. And then I know that some, some different types of items sell better on other platforms. There's people that sell things on Instagram. I was, uh, I was sort of trying to break down the costs a little bit. Let's say there's a cost because they're different costs, right? So there's a cost for PayPal, and that is like 
financial transaction cost. Then there's eBay, which is a commission. Shipping, which is, I guess, a cost of doing business. And then there's the IRS, which you also can't get around. Well, there's taxes, right? Anytime you make profit, you have to pay. You right. that's what you're you don't you don't you know that's all it's based on but you but just like anybody um you can't confuse revenue with profit there are sure. businesses that may like Google probably makes how much revenue do you think Google has billions of dollars but at the end of the day the whole company is not making that much profit it's 99% on those big levels spent and 1% profit but sure. smaller so businesses the, yeah. is taking in higher percentage profits, but mm-hmm. you have to expense that. And you can't just say that the whole amount on the 1099 is is money. You're just going to straight pay the taxes on that amount. Sure. So the, the, the comes out of these four categories that I've identified, which is PayPal money transaction, eBay seller commission, shipping, and the IRS. Four things, right? PayPal, 3%. I think as a cost of doing business, you have to expect some fee for moving money. If money gets moved electronically, whether 3%, 1%, 1%, I don't know. But there will be a cost no matter what. you. If you want to, if you don't hand somebody physical cash, then you have to pay somebody to run it through their computer system. So there's that fee. IRS, we've agreed, that's something else. Shipping is a service. The thing that I'm thinking is you can screw down the eBay cost, which is use a different vendor. Use yeah. a different platform. So if they're charging, what's their percentage? Eight or something? What did you say? It was? No, no, it's much higher than that. The seven okay. percent was just the promotion to promote uh, the, the item. Promotion. The, it so used that, to be. It used to be like ten to thirteen percent normally for eBay, mm-hmm. but now I be, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to go. I'll check on the next for the next episode if we want to bring it up again. If there's a lot of question about that, I'm sure somebody who's listening, if you're still there, you can put in the chat how much the percentage is maybe for us if you know a normal sales. But it's over. It's over double-digit percentage just to list it and sell it on their site. So I would imagine if you were, let's say, again, influencer, person who can bring their own customers, you don't need, that's the difference here, you don't need the algorithm, necessarily need the algorithm to show it to people. I'm Steve. I'm going to put that listing, and then I'm going to tell all my followers I'm going to do that work. In that scenario, you could then use another seller, a more independent seller, smaller company, some other upstart, uh, eBay platformy, Etsy, I don't know, these different ones. Because you don't need Etsy to be huge and their algorithm to be great. You just need people to you send them to the Etsy page and they're going to check out there. Government is still yeah. a thing. Shipping is still a thing. Maybe some PayPal fee or some a few percent for the transaction. That's still there. What about like uh, a retro, like, let's think what it, what could be done here. Imagine if somebody could code just a classifieds website for like retro stuff. Right. And yeah. it would be classified. It would just be categorized again by whatever the material is like a gaming consoles as far as, and then you go in and you just find things that were listed and you could do listings. You'd pay a small fee like you would for the old newspaper. But the, the whole point of this thing is you'd have to externally, conduct the monetary transaction like you said no. isn't that craigslist though yeah what you just <laughs> but, it's but it's not national like and it's not specific i guess like you can't get on craigslist and look at everything in the united states because oh, it can't? might be too crazy no it's like they're regional so that's uh, like you said that's a very regional setup but maybe it would be just too much stuff to sort through i have no idea because i guess if you did have every item listed 
on a classified ad, it might be a nightmare to try to sort through. So it's not I have, a perfect I have idea. An idea. I have an idea. I don't know if this is very. Pro- this is more of a joke, but he, I have a place for you. A seller, a, a website that will help you that provides buyer protection, and you can escape the pesky, ever-seeing eyes of the U.S. government. Dude, listed on AliExpress. That's what <laughs> those Chinese guys do. Send your money through Butterboom, whatever their app is. Keep it with the Reds over there in China. <laughs> The US government's never going to see a, that shit. Yeah, there's still some buyer protections box. on. <laughs> yep. Just that's because that's exactly how Retro Castle, they're just small independent sellers who, okay, Retro Castle himself has no following before that, so he needed to use the algorithm of AliExpress. Dude, I'm telling you, maybe, you, maybe you'll see the Zez Retro gear available for sale that's on AliExpress. Yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting time because this is all again this is all rolled out relatively quickly like simultaneously. So when you talk about eBay, I don't see how 6 months from now eBay isn't really hurting because a large core, I'm not saying like the vast majority of their sellers, but they're literally going to become a place where it's only the people who can make profits off this and yeah. do normal business. They're eliminating the whole segment of like you said the grassroots uh, sellers on there that were just trying to go on there and flip a couple items a year. It, it really complicates that to the point where um, you either find a different way to sell it or you just don't sell it, I guess, right? You just mm. don't deal with the hassle and the time. You just keep the item, donate it to charity, give it to something else. I, I don't know. It's tough to to sell that. And in Europe, I'm wondering, uh, I know I need to list my items first, but I'm wondering what's the best a forum or place for me to put my items and i'm even though i certainly don't have any following like like you do i'm still kind of thinking actually using my social media because while i don't have a massive twitter by any means at all the people that are on my twitter are very much my audience yeah may want to get these things right so okay uh, you know so that is something i'm thinking about i don't really want to list on ebay because of the fees because of uh, I'm a bit worried. I've never sort of the buy protection thing. All those negatives. Uh, so I'm actually thinking about more. I don't know if that's just I have my own list on Twitter. Like just really doing it, real independent. Who wants this? Yeah. You know, and I selling. Think that's, I think that's things. Uh, a, a great way uh, to go in. So if you're somebody now who doesn't have much of a presence in retro gaming or anything, yeah, that would be if the I. I mean, like I said, I've seen people have successful sales of items and you just need a couple of few people that that catch on to you if you just into retro stuff start posting a lot of retro stuff and then a year later you're going to have some people following you might only be a hundred might be a couple hundred but you'll have the right amount enough people to if you're selling something for a good price and you just request retweets smaller accounts people like me if i see a good deal and i know that like if i see a good deal and i know that like people that I'm affiliated with might be interested in buying that. I would want the hmm. thing of like, oh yeah, look, uh, I helped a little way of finding that person, somebody to buy this, and both these people are happy. Person A gets a good price for the item. They're not getting the top dollar on eBay that, with all the fees involved, they're getting the fair price. Same thing with the buyer. They're they're getting the fair price they want to pay because they're getting the de- discount of all the junk. And this is a good time to mention talking about those communities. That's exactly what's on offer in the Retro Tech 
Patreon, where not only are you, you're posting when you see interesting links, I get them in my Patreon all the time, here's a monitor if you're in this area, but then also your Discord of CRT fans who are sharing deals, as well as other people like Save the CRTs and other people doing good work, you've got a super niche community. So if we can find, identify our super niche communities, you don't need a big pool of potential buyers or some friggin' algorithm that's not going to show to the right people. Maybe exactly. a bit of legwork yourself. Yeah, and I thank you for the plug, Lewis. But the, <laughs> just to give a good example, I had a recent person who joined Patreon this month. They were looking, you know, they were they were really interested in getting a multi-format CRT. And I was like, a big one, 20-inch one. And, oh. and anybody, I want, you know, they're like, I just kind of learned about PVMs. And I'm like, well, I want you to kind of take some uh, breath and try to take some baby steps because, I mean, like, if you're willing to pay for it, don't worry. Don't just buy these ones that are sitting on eBay. Let's try to see what else we can figure out. And I was like, I don't personally have any for sale. But if you want to go in, because I know there's plenty of collectors that are in, again, my Patreon and in that Discord. And there's an entire chapter and page on that Discord dedicated to sales and listings where people in the Patreon and Discord can go and list their own stuff. They, and everybody there kind of keeps each other in check on the pricing because we all know – I mean, everybody knows, like, the fair prices about this. This isn't about hmm. ripping people off. And there's also times where, like this guy, I was actually getting ready to write him back saying I would recommend him consider going with something that would be a lot easier to work with and not so much um, finicky like the PVM 2005 and the BVM and so expensive. I know money is not an option or not a concern maybe, but at the same time – the kind of maintenance, you know, that you required with those higher and multi formats can be very inducive or, you know, expensive over the years. You have to actually get those service to keep them running tip top. Whereas I was going to suggest like a PVM, you know, on the 20 inch side that was a medical monitor. And he went into the discord server. He found somebody that had, had sold, had some 2005s. But after talk to everybody, he decided to go with the uh, PVM, which is the Olympus OEV203, which is the medical grade 20-inch, which I was like going to recommend. I was laughing. I was like, well, they sent you. <laughs> and they did all the work for me because that's the one I would have said. And that one's easier to service. You have to service it like once every 20 years. It's not something that needs to needs a lot of babying. It's pretty sturdy, um, good piece of hardware. So that, uh, But that was an example of how eventually – and they didn't even pay like – they paid a very fair price in the United States to get one, like under $800 for a working good one, which hmm. in the 20 inch PVM medical market, that's, you know, that's, that's well below what they would normally hmm. sell for on a publicly listed site that was showing them working. So it's a success story. I like that idea. And what struck me when you were telling me that story, Steve, is when people get into your community, there's trust and, to do any sort of business transaction, actually, mostly our business and our economy relies on trust. I trust that I'm going to give it to you and you're going to give me the payment and all of that. Now, we can have laws and different things that can help us. But as soon as our society gets bigger and bigger, and the point I'm bringing this back around to is when you're paying for eBay buyer protections, you're paying a fee for trust. And in your community, you don't need to pay a fee because we are in a small community, which is trustworthy when you're selling to a rando we've got to pay for trust so uh, that's how another way you can get down that fee 
by being in a group of people or being in a community that you have a, at least a higher level of trust than a random person on the internet. Exactly. And I'm not the only one who runs communities like this, but that is a very great point. If you find an interest an interest into something, how much how little is it to invest like a dollar in somebody's Patreon to get access to their community? Like that's all it costs. Mm-hmm. And then you could literally save yourself like in this case, this guy could have straight gone to eBay, never talked to me, bought one of these expensive monitors got it to his house and let's say it was fine. And then after 50 hours, it just developed some crazy problem. And then he's stuck with a $3,000 monitor purchase at his house. And, and instead, you know, we're trying to help people not only avoid that, but at the same time, you don't have to worry again. You've got sellers that are other people within a community. And it's like, it's just like anything. It's like used car, uh, hot rod cars we always compare it to or like mm-hmm. motorcycle people antique people these all the communities in these marketplaces develop and through those communities you do get an opportunity to sell and and not only that it's a good place to make like friends usually too too a lot yeah. of these people meet each other and they become friends it's crazy crazy that's interesting what you said about the buy and the sell. If you are getting into such a community where there is trust, that dude who, let's say, you bought this the $800 monitor, not only is a deal, so of course, anytime you get a deal, you could probably resell it later, but that product that you're buying is much easier to sell again. Like you're, you're also preserving your value down the line because when it comes time for whatever reason, you decide to liquidate that monitor. You want to turn that back into cash. You then are on the other side of the spectrum. This We're in a community. People know you. People are happy. All of a sudden, you're the buyer. It's also good to be the seller in a small community too. So, uh, Well, it's a win-win, yeah. like you said, because people can then go. And like there's, a, there's an opportunity for some people to be able to sell monitors. And they're like, look, I found this PVM, and I got an incredible deal on it, like – I don't know, you know, a hundred bucks, 200 bucks. Mm. And they're like, I'm not looking to make, you know, try to sit it on eBay, ship it and be stressed out and try to make three grand off it. They, they realize, you know, if they're part of the community, they just want to help other people get CRTs, be grow the community, you know, and most of the time. And then at the same time, they get to make some money back to mm. invest into whatever they want um, on their collection and, uh, or just to be able to, not not so much situations where you're making a lot of money. Like you say, you're you're buying something for eight hundred dollars. If you decide it's not for you, you could go back to the group, like you said, and you probably find somebody else very interested in either mm-hmm. taking that hand off your hands for that price or that price plus plus a little bit. So, um, yeah, very good, very good stuff. Yeah, it's cool, man. Well, God, we're going for an hour twenty. We've been going this. Yeah, it's a too. passionate topic for us. It's Long a passionate one. topic. If you remember, cool. to hey, cut the loose right, scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's true. That took us a bit longer there. So why don't we wrap it up? We're gonna try. Uh, pro- we'll buy this as dub, but we're gonna. You, this is going out on Monday, but the Friday, a few days before this, we're gonna be trying our live stream. So let's yeah, give it let's a, hope a twirl tomorrow. Technical difficulties will be uh, alleviating us and. But leaving us alone. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give it a go. We just got to make a live, get one done, sort That's of it. knock it out. And then I think we'll have some fun. Because we wanted to do this episode so you guys have got some proper content. And on the live live stream, we can just screw around and have some fun and, and do crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah. Whew. Some All, right. All right. 
Hey, Thank you, everyone, for watching Cathode Ray Podcast. Follow us. You know the platforms. Look, if you're here, I just want to appreciate that you got to the end of the podcast. We appreciate you listening very much. You are, you know, we, we're very much thankful for that. So thanks very much uh, for you. listening. Steve, see you soon, mate. See you next time. Bye-bye.